0: Good morning, church. Thank you very much. And um, we are all here this morning to encounter Jesus because we all need an encounter with Jesus. You know, encounters with Jesus change the lives of those who encounter Him. Because changing life is what Jesus is all about. You know, everyone who encountered Jesus never remained the same. You know, once you've encountered Jesus, you can never regret encountering Jesus. You know, there are so many things in life that we'll come back to look, look on, and we will regret having encountered those things. You know, some people will look back years down the line and, and, and regret encountering their wives or husband. Don't look beside you, please. You know, some of us will look back and we will regret maybe the job we loved so much. We will regret the day we encountered that job. Some people will regret encountering friends that they've met in the past, in you know, places they've been. Some people will live on en- regret encountering, maybe having encounters in-, in churches because encountering Jesus is not about a church, it's not about a place, it's a personal thing. But one thing is guaranteed, that there is no one, no one ever, who has an encounter with Jesus that can look back and say, I regret knowing Jesus. You can never regret having an encounter with Jesus Because an encounter with Jesus is life's greatest adventure. It is an adventure. It's one encounter after another encounter. It is one of the best things we can ever do in life. So today, as we continue in our series, Encounters with Jesus, we are going to be looking at another marvelous encounter in the book of John. It's an encounter between Jesus and a man who had been sick for 38 years. 38 years, this man could not move. He was paralyzed. And the time had come for him to have an encounter with Jesus. So, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to travel back to the first century, right? So, you're going to imagine yourself as one of the apostles. I know we're more than 12, right? And you're going to imagine your nice shoes as sandals in the Middle East as we go on this adventure with Jesus to encounter this man, or as we watch as an observer, you know, and, and watch and notice what the encounter between Jesus and this man is all about. And as we walk through the passages, I'm going to highlight five things, five things we can see in this passage that defines what an encounter with Jesus is about. We take our anchor by anchor passage from John chapter 5 and we read verses 1 through 15 and I'll be reading from the New American Standard um, Bible version. So that's John 5, 1 to 15. After these things... There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem by the ship gate, there is a pool which in Hebrew is called Bethesda, having five particles. In these particles lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, limping, or paralyzed. Now a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Jesus, upon seeing this man lying there, And knowing he had already been in that condition for a long time, said to him, Do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was, it was a Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is a Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, where is the man who said to you, pick, up, pick it up and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse will happen to you. The man went away and informed the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Shall we bow our heads in a moment of prayer as as we walk through this passage? Everlasting Father, we just thank you this morning, O Lord. We thank you for the wonderful privilege, O Lord, to encounter you time and again, O Lord. We thank you for the grace, O Lord God, the amazing grace that saved us. Father, we thank you that every time we seek your face, you're there. And I just pray this morning, O Lord, that as we speak, as we go through this encounter, I pray that you will minister to each soul, O Lord that each one of us will encounter you in a unique way. Father, at the point of our needs, I pray, that you will encounter us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Bible passage for today simply started with, after these things, after these things. Now, if we are careful Bible readers, which we know we are, the question we ought to ask, instead of just reading through it, is, after what things? Now, it says, after these things, after what things? A few weeks ago, we started this series, and we started with an encounter be- between um, Nathaniel and Jesus. So up to this moment in time, Jesus' life had been one encounter after another. So first, it was an encounter with Nathaniel. And we were told Nathaniel thought he had the old vi- uh, vision of what God is doing, but he didn't until he met Jesus Christ. Now then, we talked about the encounter with Nicodemus not the describe the teacher of the law who came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus also thinking he understood what was happening. He said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher sent from God. And Jesus stopped him immediately. He said, you cannot know the things of God unless you are born again. He said, verily, verily, uh, verily, verily, I say unto you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So he couldn't tell what was happening until he encountered Jesus. And last week we heard about the woman, the Samaritan woman, She was in need of living water but she was trying to shy away from the topic, you know, until she encountered Jesus. You know, when she encountered Jesus, she said, come and see you. Come and see the Savior. He told me everything I've done. So, encountering Jesus is an ongoing thing, from Nathaniel to Nicodemus to the woman at the the, the well. And encountering Jesus never ceases. It never stops. And that's the first point um, we want to look at today. That encountering Jesus is an ongoing thing. I know for many of us, we like, to, we like to refer to saints of old. We talk about people who lived centuries ago, like Martin Luther. And we talk about Wiggleswater, people who lived decades ago. We say C.S. Lewis, and we call them saints. And we forget that God is still making saints of his people. An encounter with Jesus never stops because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some of us will look back in the days of our parents and we say, oh, when my parents were young, they talked about these massive encounters with Jesus and that doesn't happen anymore. But that is not true. You know, Jesus is still encountering people. For yet some other of us, we have come from distant countries. You know, we've come from Africa, from South America, from Asia, and we refer back to the days when we were in those countries. We say, oh, when I was in Africa, I used to see miracles all the time. You know, now I'm in England, I'm at the mercy of the NHS and the bank, you know, you know, I'm on my own. But that, that is not true either. You know, just like Jesus went, you know, from, from Bethsaida to Cana, from Cana to Samaria, from Samaria to Jerusalem, Jesus is going everywhere. He's omnipresent. You know, he's in Africa, he's in South America, he's in Asia, he's in England, he's in I, come, Amen. So an encounter with Jesus is an ongoing thing. So we see Jesus back in Jerusalem. The Bible says after these things, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. But we don't see him in the temple. We see him at the pool. We see him at the pool. And the Bible says that this pool lay a multitude of people who were sick. So there were people who were sick, blind, and limping. And the right question to ask will be, why are these people, why are they at the pool? Why were they not in the temple? Now I said, we are careful Bible readers, right? So if we, had, if, if we had noticed earlier, when I was reading the passage, that we skipped verse 4. Because unless you have the New King, uh, King James Version, verse 4 is likely to be missing in your version. And verse 4 says this. For an angel of the Lord went down at a certain time to the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. So we see that these people who were sick, lame, blind, and limping, they were at the pool waiting for a miracle. They weren't even waiting for a miracle from Jesus, but they were waiting for for an encounter for a miracle. And that brings us to our second point. You see, an encounter with Jesus is not only about miracles. Now many of us believe that we've not had an encounter unless we have some miraculous healing. You know, unless we witness this, we've not really had an encounter. But an encounter with Jesus is not all about miracle. Yes, miracles are involved as I believe in miracles. I know God does miracles. He did them in this past, he's still doing them. But an encounter with Jesus is not only about miracles. In fact, Jesus them tough words for those who sought him just because of the miracles. In the Bible, we read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You now, Jesus was always preaching to them, but they never believed. They kept going to him again and again saying, what signs are you showing us? What signs do you show us? And he said to them, I'm not going to show you any sign. I'm not going to show you any sign apart from the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, what happened to prophet Jonah? Prophet Jonah was swallowed up by a fish. So that's not a good sign for them to see. But what he was trying to say to them is, I will die and be raised up in three days. I am the miracle. Jesus is the miracle. An encounter doesn't have to be us just seeking after a miracle. An encounter is all seeking after Jesus, because Jesus is the miracle. Another set of people went to Jesus. You know, they, they were fed with five loaves and two fish. And afterwards, they were chasing after this miracle. And they said to him, oh, Rabbi, we didn't know you were here. And he said to them, you're only chasing me for the miracles. You know, and they said to him, you know, yeah, our father ate manna. The Bible says he gave them manna to eat in the wilderness. And Jesus said to them, where are your fathers? They are dead. He said, your fathers ate manna, but they are dead. But I am the bread of life. I am the miracle. Whoever eats of me will never die. Whoever drinks of me will never thirst. So an encounter isn't just seeking after miracles. But an encounter is seeking after the God of miracles. An encounter is seeking after Jesus, seeking after, after the Savior. So it was at this pool, there was a man seeking after a miracle. Not from Jesus. He was seeking a miracle from an angel. Someone who will come and stir up the water. But what he really needed was an encounter with Jesus. And an encounter with Jesus is an act of God's grace. An encounter with Jesus is an act of God's grace. And that's our third point. An encounter with Jesus is a personal gift of grace. Nobody can encounter Jesus for you. Nobody, your husband, I know your husband, maybe you have a very loving husband or a very caring wife, but they cannot encounter Jesus for you. Your parents cannot encounter Jesus for you. Your friends cannot encounter Jesus for you. I mean, we are glad and we are grateful for those who brought us to the Lord. But we have to encounter Jesus for ourselves. John chapter 1 said, Andrew, found, Andrew first found Jesus. And the first thing he did was look for his brother. Then he found his brother, Peter, Simon. It was called Simon then. And Simon had to encounter Jesus for himself. Three weeks ago, we heard about Philip. Philip encountered Jesus. And then Philip found Nathanael, and Nathanael to encounter Jesus for himself. The woman at the well encountered Jesus, and then she went away and said, I've seen a man who told me everything I did. And then the people came, and they encountered Jesus for themselves, and said, We believe, not because of what you've told us, but because we've had an encounter. So you have to have an encounter with Jesus. It's a personal thing, but it's a personal gift of grace. Why is it a personal gift of grace? Because before we can even seek God, God was out looking for us. While we were not looking for him, he was out looking for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So when God seeks us, he sees us. The passage we read said, Christ went to the pool and he saw this man and he knew that he had been sick for 38 years. So what does it mean that God sees him? Now, when God sees you, he really takes note of you. He sees your pain. He sees your struggles. He sees the things that you're not even proud to say. And he takes note of you. And he knows. He knows how much he hurts. He knows how much regrets you have. He knows the things you're going through. And he doesn't leave it there. He comes to us to help us. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. We have a soft-hearted father. Is a soft-hearted God. He's always wanting to come close to us, to come nearer to us, to help us. Psalm 46 says the Lord is an ever-present help in times of trouble. So the Lord is always there seeking us, and that is an act of grace. But the question this morning is, do we always feel like that? Do we always see God as soft-hearted, compassionate, willing to help Or do we always see him as someone you have to really persuade? You have to say, please, 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 I need help, I need help, I need help. I think it's a sad thing because many of us feel like God doesn't respond on the first prayer. He doesn't respond even on the second prayer, not on the first first. And it is not true. The Lord is an ever-present help in times of trouble. I think some of the reasons we might feel God is not responding to us, and falsely so, It's because we are not willing to accept His remedies. We're not willing to accept His remedies. Sometimes God is taking us through a process. He's developing faith. He's developing perseverance. He's developing um, character. But we don't want faith. Most times we don't want character. We don't want perseverance. We just want a miracle. So we're not willing to accept His remedy. Sometimes we're not willing to accept His timing either. You know, one of the most common phrases you will find in the Bible is, at the appointed time, at the appointed time. But we don't always want to wait for that appointed time, right? We want it now. We want the miracle now, you know? But God is a God of grace. So this man had been sick 38 years in the Bible, he's been suffering, and this was his appointed time. For every event on earth, the Bible says there's a time and a season. This was his appointed time. But before you could experience this miracle... Something had to happen. He had to have an examination of the heart. That brings us to our third point this morning. An encounter with Jesus is an examination of the art. You know, we like to skip to the good part, all right? We don't want an examination. We just want the miracle. We don't want to be closely looked at. We want the healing of the body. But if this man was going to experience healing in his body, he must be thorough. It must be complete. The healing of his body must not be at the expense of his soul because God is not only interested in the body. God is interested in the spirit in the soul as well as the body. In fact, God is interested in the spirit and the soul more than the body because the Bible says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will it profit a man if he has all the miracles of the world? That's why Jesus told them, your fathers had the miracle of manna, but they are dead. I am the miracle. I am the one you should be seeking after. So this man was going to have his miracle, but first there has to be an examination of the heart, an examination of the, uh, of, of the soul. And when I was preparing for this, this reminded me of something that happened to me last year. Last year, I had a cyst on my back, and I went to the surgery because I was beginning to feel unwell. So I was confident that once I, I get into the surgery, right, this time there will be no excuses. She will just say, here you go, antibiotics, right? We all love antibiotics, don't we? And I was expecting my dose of antibiotics. But when I got in there, and I said, you know, I've not, feeling, I've not been feeling too good. I have this taste, and it seems infected. And she had a look, and she said, you know what? I'm going to send you to, to, to Princess Risborough. I'm going to send you straight for further examination. And we don't like further examination because they can be uncomfortable. But this man, even though he was going to be ill, but he needed to be examined. So I went to Princess Risborough, and I was there in the surgical room, Beside me, there was a table. There were loads of different things there. got scissors, bandages, plaster. But there was something that really caught my attention. It was a surgical knife, right? (laughs) I was really going to be thoroughly examined. They were going to have to cut me open to get rid of the bad stuff. So Jesus was going to have to cut this man open to get rid of the bad stuff. And while the doctor's surgical knife can cut through my flesh and maybe muscles and bones, nothing can cut through the soul apart from the Word of God. Nothing can cut and separate between soul and spirit apart from the Word of God. And the Bible says in Hebrews four twelve, it says, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the earth. So there was this man by the pool, he was under the examination of Jesus Christ, and he was about to be made uncomfortable, just like I was made uncomfortable on that day because on that day, when I was being examined, there was a a surgeon, and a junior surgeon, and they, they were there and they said, can you take off your clothes, and I did, and I was half naked upward, and before I could turn around, there were two student doctors standing there, they said to me, Hope you don't mind. We have two juniors, you know, like I was gonna say now. Nah. And I was I was laid open there. And they had a knife. And Jesus was gonna do the same thing with this man. He was there with his disciple, at least he was there with John if he wasn't there with the twelve. And he was gonna examine this man. And his surgical knife was his word. So what was his word to this man? He said to him, Do you want to get well? Sounds a bit unpleasant. Do you want to get well? What sort of question is that? That is not a question. That's a surgical knife. That's the Savior's surgical knife. And this man was there. I'm sure he was thinking, hey, what do you think? I've been ill 38 years. I'm here waiting for a miracle. You know. But when the knife goes in, the infections come out. The bad blood comes out. You know, so the knife went in. Do you want to get well? And he replied. He said, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred up, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. What was he saying? When the knife of the surgical word of Christ went in, he seems to be saying, my brother isn't here, my sister isn't here, they've all left me. If only my wife was here. If only my parents had done the right thing. If only my children had not gone away. He probably even blamed himself for being in that situation. And that exposes his heart. He probably was probably holding unforgiveness. He was holding grudges in his heart. He you know, was blaming people and making them responsible for his healing. But God doesn't examine us to put us to shame. You know, like the woman at the well, he, he, and Jesus said to him, he said, go and bring your husband. And she said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right, because you've had five husbands. But the Savior didn't say shame on you, you adulteress. You know, he doesn't do that. He examines us to heal us. He examines us to make us whole. I wonder if the Lord is examining you this morning. I wonder if he's encountering you and looking into your heart and he's asking you, who are you holding responsible for your situations? No, who are you holding responsible for your current state? Is he a partner who left you with the kids? Is he someone who broke up the engagement? No, is he a father who wasn't there? Or a father who was barely there? Who are you holding responsible? Is he a mother who never saw you amounting to anything? Or are you blaming yourself? Are you blaming yourself? No, God doesn't help. Uh, Some people say God helps those who help themselves, but that's not in the scripture. You don't have to blame yourself. No, God helps everyone. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. So this morning I want to say to us, We need to let go of our prisoners, the prisoners we are holding. We need to let go of them and allow the Lord to examine us and purge us, you know, of the infection and the unforgiveness and the hatred we hold in our hearts so that we can experience His awesome power. And this brings us to the last thing we're going to um, talk about this morning in terms of encountering Jesus, and that is an encounter with Jesus is an opportunity to experience it's awesome power. Get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Get up, pick up your bed and walk. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. That was the next statement. Like I said, the Lord didn't judge him. The Lord didn't condemn him. He just spoke his word and at once, just one statement of what this man received life in his body. This man stood up and started walking. That is the power of our God. I know earlier I said we shouldn't chase only after the miracles. But when the miracles happen, we cannot overstate the power of our God. There is no God like Jehovah. There is no God as powerful as our God. He created the whole universe by the power of his word. He sustains it by the power of his word. He sends his word and he heals our diseases. Just one statement of word, God is able to solve any problem. You see? Many of us are faced with a series of opportunities, but they are brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. I'll say that again. Many of us are faced with a series of opportunities, but they are brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. So I wonder what is brilliantly disguised as an impossible situation in your life this morning. With God, nothing shall be impossible With God, there is nothing impossible. Jeremiah saw the awesome power of God and exclaimed. He said, ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched hand. Nothing is too difficult for you. That was Jeremiah. He said, ah, Lord, there's nothing too difficult for you. And we don't hear God saying, oh, no, Jeremiah, there are some things that don't go near. You know, 38 years is a lot. You know, 38 days. No. You know, what did God say? God responded and said, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for me? You know, our God is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. You know, and he will do what he says he will do. I like David. David said, God has spoken once. Twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. God has spoken once. Twice have I heard this that power, be- can somebody say it? power belongs to you? Can we say it like we mean it? Power belongs to you? Power belongs to God. It is one thing to hear that power belongs to God from the pulpit like I'm saying it now but you really hear that power belongs to God the second time you have to encounter it. You have to encounter the awesome power of Jesus to really hear it the second time that power belongs to God. Peter said to Jesus he said, Lord if it's you, say I asked me to come, and Jesus says, come. And this fisherman walked on water like on dry land. Now, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and Jesus called out, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had been dead for four days came out. Now, I like a preacher who said, he said, Jesus had to specify Lazarus, otherwise you have a lot of dead people just coming out. <laughs> Amen. But he had to say, I need only one this time. Lazarus, come forth, and he came forth. And I tell you what, the Bible says the time is coming, when the dead, this time it's not going to specify a name. It's just going to say, come forth. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of Man, and everyone will come back to life. Those who have done righteously to the resurrection of the righteous, and those who have done, um, those, those who have done evil to, to, to condemnation and judgment. The Word of God is powerful. Sometimes when I am weak and I don't know what to say, or sometimes when you have your body trying to act up and... It's not trying to fall in line with yours. I just say to God, God, just call me. There's something about God just calling you. There's something about the Word of God It is alive, active. It, just, it fills you with power even when you don't have the power. It fills you with energy even when you don't have the energy. You know, this morning I'll share with you a moment when I experienced the awesome power of God. It was in 2015. In 2015, I can't remember the, uh, the exact month now, but... In 2015, I was feeling unwell. I was feeling quite ill, actually. And I, I, I still don't know why it was. But I was feeling very unwell, very uncomfortable, constantly in pain for about maybe two months or so. And I went to the doctors. And, and they didn't say to me, don't worry. There's nothing wrong with you. They just said to me, um, it's not conclusive. You can see some markers. You know, you have to go for air You have to make appointments. You have to go on the waiting list. First. And I was losing weight drastically. Now I was losing so much weight. The people who were not very close to me were saying, well, don't know, You must be eating well. <laughs> you know, and I, I really didn't want to lose, I mean, now I would like to lose some weight, but then, I mean, I wasn't trying. And I was saying, oh, wow, wow, what gym are you using? But I was feeling unwell. So one, one faithful night, I went to bed sad, and then I woke up in the middle of the night. And there was the word of God on my mouth. There was Psalm 27 on my mouth. And I just woke up in the middle of the night. And I started praying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. I was actually singing it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. And I don't mind my voice. And I will not be afraid. And I will not be ashamed. I was singing it and praying and crying. I was speaking in tongues. I exhausted myself. My wife told me afterwards, she said, I opened my eyes. And I saw you praying. And I could see this was personal. I could see you were having an encounter. Normally she would join me in prayers. He said, I just, I just left you to it. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I cried, I cried. Because I was afraid of my life. And then I exhausted myself, I went back to bed. And then I woke up in the morning, and the pain was gone. Not 50%, not 90%, not 99%. I woke up, it was gone. Not the weight. The weight came back later, but <laughs> I, 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 I could handle that. But the, the pain was gone. That is the awesome power of God's word. No, God watches over his word. Just one word. Pick up your mat and walk. 38 years of infirmity is nothing to God. There's nothing impossible with God. When we soak ourselves in the word of God and we study it and we allow the word of God to penetrate us, to cleanse us, to purge us of all resentment and hatred, And we take the word back to him. The word of God is alive. It is powerful. It is able to change us. It is able to revive us. God is able to do anything. And I know sometimes, like I said earlier, God gives gives the remedy. And he gives the timing. And sometimes I know it doesn't come true like in a sudden miracle like it did did for me. Sometimes he gives us grace. And grace is a wonderful thing. God's grace is an amazing thing. I've seen people with God's grace, people who have sought the face of the Lord and encountered Him with God. God's grace makes the situation seem like it's no longer there while it's there. You're talking to people under the grace of God, and they're filled with joy and strength. And you're thinking, um, you have a lot of problem more than I do, but you're filled with so much. And that is the grace of God. That is the grace of That is what an encounter with God can do for you. So this morning, in a moment, we're going to be responding to this. And I want us to open our hearts to God. God is not here to condemn us. He's not here to say, shame on you, look at what you've done. And I want us to open our hearts, as John and the band will come up in a moment, to open our hearts and to ask him and to seek him. To say, God, God, I want to encounter you this morning in a personal way. Nobody else can do it. I'm not hiding under anything. I'm not hiding anything from you. And just release ourselves to God and see his awesome power at work in us. Amen. 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 Amen.